everybody, this is Kino from Recording Lounge. It's December 20th, 2011, and today we're talking about EQ, compression, and reverb and delay to get things to fit in a mix together. So we're talking about why my mix doesn't fit together, um, how to get kick and bass tight, how to get a vocal to sit in the mix, all kinds of great stuff. Um, this is the second show this month. I'm really happy to get a second show out this month. Now... I'm trying to even get a third show out this month. I'm waiting on an interview. I've got a cool show coming up with interviews from my session players. And these are people that if I ever have a session, I would probably call them first. And um, if I need musicians to play. Now I've got, uh, I'll be talking about guitars. And I've got my session bass player, drummer, and keyboard player. Basically, I'm trying to get interviews with all of them. They're all busy guys, so trying to get them talking about playing in the studio and ways to pick out uh, the right instrument for each song, ways to pick out the right way to play, the right you know loudness level to play, what parts to play, you know what drum heads or what you know particular key sounds they like or uh, cymbals or whatever so that's going to be a really cool show i've got two out of the three guys interviewed so i've just got to add my bit about guitars and then interview one more guy so anyway well today we are talking about fitting things in a mix how do we fit everything in a mix now this is one of those tough topics to discuss because there's so many different ways to do it. Now, before we get into this, remember you can always email me at recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. I've been getting some great questions. Uh, special thanks to Brian and to Ian and to lots of gr- – gosh, I, the list goes on and on to some great questions I've gotten lately in email. And uh, hopefully soon I can do an FAQ show where I kind of compile a bunch of – questions from people and and ask them so other people can benefit from our discussions so if you have any questions email them to me at uh, recordingloungepodcast.gmail.com another way to connect with recording lounge is check out facebook.com slash recording lounge for any of you that are facebook users which i'm pretty sure is everybody in the entire world you can take a break from your average boring day on facebook of clicking home and profile and chat and making sure that you have all of your information gathered from all of your connections, you can instead spend a couple minutes and go over to the Recording Lounge podcast Facebook page and get some uh, community there. Hopefully that page will pick up soon. Um, It's not been around for very long, so I don't have many uh, friends, but of course that's why I need you guys on there. So go ahead and check that out. Um, of course, I've got the blog, recordinglounge.blogspot.com. And uh, again, always feel feel free to email me about any questions you have about anything, especially things I talk about on the show, um, but especially anything that you're having issues with, starting your studio, gear purchases, acoustics, whatever. Okay, so today we are talking about fitting things in a mix. Now, this is an interesting topic first thing I want to talk about here is why is it that things don't fit in a mix? Well, it's amazing to me because you can go, let's say you're at a restaurant and there's a band playing, like a jazz band playing. Like let's say there's a quartet, right? I'm sure you've been at a restaurant where, or or, or anywhere, a bar, whatever, where there's a band playing, let's say four-piece, and it sounds great. Even if there's no sound system, let's say they're just kind of playing instrumental music in the background and there's no sound system 
So there's no mics or anything. And the band sounds really balanced. It sounds full. It sounds like, man, everyone's great. Well, what's why is it that we can record the exact same people and it doesn't sound great? It doesn't fit for some reason. Obviously, instrumental music is usually a lot easier to mix than stuff with vocals, but it's amazing to me how that phenomenon happens. Now, I remember reading an interview with a couple of producers, and, and I don't remember who it was. I, I, I think I know who it was, but I don't want to misquote. So one of the producers said something like, I think it doesn't work because, you know, your eyes, your eyes are involved. When you see a band, it's part, partly the experience of being there with the band in the room that kind of like makes up for it. Like so your, your eyes can see the different things. And it's almost like uh, the cocktail f- effect where you can understand what somebody is saying across the room by like focusing in on their face and then listening for their voice. It's almost like our ears can become selective. And so when you're in a live scenario like that, when there's no PA, let's say, you can your brain almost kind of makes up the right balance. Well, another reason is that you're dealing with three-dimensional space. You're in the actual room with them. And, and you know, when you're mixing, you got two speakers, unless you're doing surround. But And I think part of the reason, again, I agree with that producer that said that, but I think a big part of that is that our natural perception of space really helps out with that how we're in a room we're not you know an inch away from a speaker like we tend to put microphones these days and uh, you know some producers even say there's no reason to put a microphone on an amp um, you know an inch away unless you're doing it for uh, sake of separation and if you're in a big room or if even if you're in a small room there's almost no reason to put a mic that close because it starts to sound unnatural and that's kind of counterintuitive to what a lot of recordists are taught. You know, you think, oh, I'm going to mic up a guitar amp, so I'll put a mic right up on the speaker. It's funny because that's not really how <laughs> it was designed to be heard. I was talking to a friend of mine, and we were talking about reverb pedals and guitar spring reverb and things like that. Well, part of the reason that spring reverb was created, not the only reason, but part of it was because... Um, when they started putting microphones on things, you would lose the natural ambience of the room by putting a microphone on something that close. And it was kind of like, this is weird. We no longer have the room sound. And part of the holy grail of tube amp tone is, you know, plugging up to an amp straight in from the guitar and playing and just enjoying it. Well, to have that experience, you have to be in a room. And very and same with the drum kit. I mean, with the drum kit, you're in a room with your drums. You're not putting your ear, you know, an inch away from the snare drum or two inches or three inches away from a tom or whatever. However far we mic these close mics, it's it's like your ears, you know, uh, which kind of functions as our overhead. And another part of that is that we can see the drum kit. So if we're sitting at a drum kit, we see it. We know which ones we're about to hit or whatever. And so when we hit the snare, it's like we expect it versus a recording. That's not really the case. So that leads into our discussion about ways to fit things. So so we've got this full mix. Let's say you've got a rock mix now and you've got all these tracks. And regardless if you recorded it or not, maybe you don't have the freedom to go re-record something. But let's say you know, you you don't. And you've got all your tracks, and you're like, well, I can't re-record anything, so what now? In the panning and LCR show that uh, we had just a little while ago, I talked about delays, and I talked about my use of delays. And for me, if I'm trying to create the obvious space 
where I want obvious, you know, I'm in a large space. So, you know, I'll use a reverb. I'll use like a, you know, somewhere between half a second and maybe even as long as uh, if I want like a big space, maybe even as long as like a two and a half second plate. Well, when I want a small space, when I want a very small space, almost inaudible, and what my main function is to achieve depth, depth is different really to me than space. If I'm, if I'm thinking space, I'm thinking like I want to hear it in a room. If I'm thinking depth, I'm almost thinking just, just shift it back to where it sounds like it moved back in the mix, just a hair. If I'm thinking depth, I usually am thinking short, short reverbs and usually uh, fairly darker reverbs and uh, delays, short delays. So I'm talking 20, 30, 40 milliseconds um, under a slap. Um, the longest would be a slap. Um, you know, Slap is kind of getting into more audible, but I'm talking short, short delays. So one thing we can do with this, as you might have remembered from the LCR show, is like if we have a guitar, an electric guitar that we pan hard left, well, we can then send it to a mono reverb that is, you know, obviously pan center, and that sort of gives it a curve from hard left to center. Now, center obviously is quieter because you're not sending the whole thing. You're sending just a small portion, but you kind of get this curvature from the hard left to the center where it almost sounds like there's like these little strings attached to the center, and that creates the illusion of depth. And, of course, you can pan the delay also. Sometimes I do that. If I pan it, I usually make it a little bit longer. If I pan it, you know, like if the guitar's hard left and I pan the delay hard left, I usually make it maybe a slap, so 50 milliseconds, 60. I think a common misconception is that we reach for plugins and processors and hardware units as a right of course. You know, we, we put up a mix and we're like, oh, yeah, I need to add some of this to the snare. I need to add some top end or whatever. But I think a problem is when we start to mix, I think the mix sounds a little jumbled. And so immediately our perception is, oh, it's not the right tone. It's not the right EQ of something. Um, it's too much lows, too much whatever. Now, in a modern rock mix, yes, you're probably going to end up EQing a handful of things, even if it's just a high-pass filter. But not always. So... Think about that first. Before you reach for an EQ, the first thing you should think about is depth. It, does it have depth to it? Ask yourself, you know, do the drums have depth? And if you record, you know, if you listen to the drums and you only used a couple mics or whatever in a smaller room and the drums sound like they're an inch in front of your face, maybe you should experiment for a while with reverbs. You know, make them feel like they sit back in the mix a little bit. Experiment with reverbs on the on the drum bus or maybe on the just the room mics or whatever. Um, or maybe on the snare. If you're working with guitars, that's another situation where experiment with, with maybe shorter reverbs or something like that just to give it some space not to where it feels like it's a little farther back because what you're doing there essentially is making space front to back because a lot of times when we listen to mixes and we're thinking, how do we fit all this stuff in? We only think two-dimensionally, right? We think... Well, I got my pan pots, and then that's it. And I got my EQs, which can kind of help it. But in reality, the more EQ you add, the more things start to sound unnatural. So I usually try to reach for reverbs and delays before I reach for EQs, because I think I listen to each part, and I think, okay, what needs more space? What 
you know, I'm, I've tried to visualize it, right? I try to visualize the band, let's say. And, uh, you know, if I record the drums in a bigger room, the drums are good. Drums are fine. You know, I like the way the drums sound. Um, bass is another type of instrument that sometimes you can get some room sound. Maybe you should send it to a mono reverb that has all the lows filtered out, just so you get a little bit of sound like the bass is in the same room as the drums. So once I get the bass and drums to sound like they're in the same space, then you have the two main fighters in a mix that seem to be always fighting, and that's the guitars and the vocals. And... Um, from there, you usually kind of have to debate how close you want your vocal. So if you want your vocal to be like right up in your face, then, you know, you might start with leaving the vocal dry or fairly dry, maybe just a touch of reverb or a touch of short delay. Um, but you kind of get that sounding how you want it. Then you can kind of push the guitars back from there using delays and reverbs. And you'd be amazed, you'd be amazed at how playing with the volume of the guitars as well as their delays and or depth and or reverb etc etc will make them sit back now the second thing that i think a lot of people miss when it comes to creating space in a mix and getting things to fit is compression compression actually is a great helper for making things fit in a mix a prime example is acoustic guitar and piano also these instruments are very percussive, and they often, in modern recording times, are recorded in such a way that I, I think it, a lot of it has to do with the player. I think acoustic guitar players and piano players these days just play heavier, and uh, that I, I'm a pretty light player, and I, I usually think acoustic guitar sounds better when played lighter anyway. I mean, you're putting a mic on it. Who cares if you play it loud? I mean, you're not trying to compete with a band. I mean, the quieter you play the less attacky it sounds, the less, you know, plucked it sounds. And that's one of the old tricks is to play quieter, which means you don't have to use as much compression to control it. Um, and we'll talk about that some more on the show where we interview the session players because the bass player even says, you know, I usually turn my rig up louder, but then play quieter. And that's to get more evenness in the notes. And so it's kind of like manual compression. If you play quieter on an instrument, but then turn it up, it usually sounds a lot more even. Now, sometimes drums doesn't work that way because drums, a drum set will not speak the right way. Like, it won't sound like the appropriate genre. Like, if you're not playing a rock kit, you know, on a rock song, if you're not playing it fairly heavy, it's going to not sound right. But an acoustic guitar is sometimes a different story because an acoustic guitar will often fit in a mix better if the person plays quieter and less percussive. Um, that also allows you to use less compression, if any. So, compression on an acoustic guitar, to tame those peaks, a lot of times what happens is, you know, the peaks are so high, they'll poke out every now and then, but it won't seem like the guitar is there. And so you'll hear it kind of over the drums, and then you're like, man, I need more acoustic guitar. So you turn it up. Well, the problem then is then your peaks get louder. Your average level kind of brings up, and so you can hear it better, but then your peaks are super loud. And so compression can help even that out a little bit, not just for evenness sake, but for fitting it in the mix. So you can kind of bring your average level higher by compressing it, turning down your highs and bringing up, you know, when I say highs, your quiet, you know, your loud parts. So turning, compressing your louder parts which in turn turns up the quieter parts, that creates a higher average level. 
And so you can fit that in a mix better. Now, another situation here is obviously like vocals and acoustic guitars with, uh, you know, finger picked and or strummed, but then bass and snare drum and kick drum. These things have lots of powerful transients sometimes, depending on the player. And, um, Bass different sometimes, but generally the transients on them are super strong and a little abrasive and they stick out too much. So that's another thing. You have to start asking your ear the right question. Is your ear hearing that it's too loud or that it's sticking out too much in the wrong spots? Because if it's a consistency problem, then compression can really help you because that's really the sort of situation where you're listening and you say, you know, well... Some notes are louder than others. Compression can be your answer. So, again, let's recap so far. I would reach for the delays and reverbs and the compressors before I'd even touch an EQ to get things to fit. However, in modern music, we still will probably have to EQ to get the sound that we want, to get the sound out of our mixes that we like, to get that modern sound, if you will. So... How do we go about using EQ and not destroying our mix by over-EQing everything? Well, uh, let's, let's walk through it one step at a time. First, we talked about in the preamp EQ compressor chain in the other show, in that show, about how it's always wise to fix your sounds first before you start compressing. So, like, if there's a weird resonance or whatever in a drum... You know, I would always try to fix that first, so I would fix any problems first because a compressor is only going to accentuate all your problems. So if a sound is too boomy, the compressor is going to trigger off of the boominess, and you don't want that. If you're trying, like an acoustic guitar, again, is a great example. If you are trying to get an acoustic guitar to be tamed in the peaks, you know, the, the strum sound, the, the high-end sound, then compressing a boomy acoustic guitar will not really compress those peaks. It's going to compress when the boominess kicks in. So that might only be on the lower notes. So what you're wanting is, you know, you'll have to filter out some highs to actually get the compressor to do what you want and actually tame those peaks, those high-end peaks. However, a great solution for this, if you don't want to EQ, if you love the low end on it, is to use a multiband compressor. So you can compress only like the high mids and the highs, and then leave the lows a little less compressed. The most common question I get about fitting things together always has to do with two things. One, the kick and the bass. So, the, well, really the drums and the bass. And two fitting the vocal in the mix. These two things seem to be the hardest thing for people to really get tight. And uh, they are difficult, and I'm, I'm here for you on this. It's, it's a tough thing. You can do a thousand mixes. You can be a professional or you can be a novice, and it's still difficult because every mix is different. It's, it's custom every time. So um, let's start with the kick and the bass. Let's, let's start there. The kick and the bass together occupy a very similar frequency range, and I've heard it been said before that you kind of have to pick one to be the leader. And I, I partly agree with that. Another way to put that is you have to agree, you have to figure out which one's going to be higher and which one's going to be lower. Because generally you can't have them both low and you can't have them both high. So um, by that I mean you can't have you know, the kick fundamental down in like the 50 hertz range and then the bass be playing super low notes the whole time. 
It just it's you're never going to get them to fit. However, if the bass is playing a little higher, you know, on the on the E string and A string, and playing more sort of like in the 100 to 200 hertz range, then you know you probably have a much better chance of fitting things in there versus playing in the 41 to you know 41 is a low E on a bass 41 hertz. Um, 41 to 82 hertz, that'd be, you know, an octave, um, the low E on a bass and then the octave. If you play there, then your kick drum is going to have a hard time fitting in if it's your kick drum centered at 55 hertz. However, if your kick drum is up more in the 60, 70, 80, 90 region, it'll fit in a lot better. Me personally, I usually prefer, in most rock tracks, I usually prefer a, a bigger low end on the bass and a punchier kick. So my kick drums usually are centered in the, you know, somewhere between 60 and 80 region. And that just depends on the drum. I mean, that's just the pitch of the drum. So I'll adjust the tuning of the of the kick drum for each song that we record just to, you know, get a certain pitch out of the drum. But if you're just mixing it, you can't really adjust this. So fitting these two together, I would say your first goal is to make sure that they're, they sound good individually. Now don't spend too much time in solo, but make sure that the kick sounds good. The kick has a good solid kick tone, and the bass has a very clear solid low end that's not super boomy. This is where you know having good monitors really, you know, where the rubber meets the road here when it comes to monitoring because these are both probably the lowest things in the mix. I mean, if you were to put a low pass filter on most rock mixes at 100, you're pretty much going to hear maybe a little bit of guitar, maybe a little bit of piano low end, but primarily kick and bass. I mean, they take up a pretty big spectrum. You got to be very, it's a delicate matter. So I would make sure they sound good on their own first and then bring them in together. I usually start with the kick and then bring up the bass slowly. So bring up the bass until it sounds good. Now, what you might find is that certain parts of the song, you know, the bass seems to override the kick or, you know, they're fighting each other. Well, there's two methods that I, well, actually three methods that I would use to kind of help fix this. One, again, I would, I would always go for a compressor before I go for an EQ. I would try to compress them differently. Not necessarily different like uh, ratios or anything, but for example, I might try to compress the bass with a, with a pretty darn slow attack, then maybe the kick with the faster attack so that the kick really punches through, the, the clicky sound really punches through, and the bass is a little more soft, um, the notes a little more super soft, versus uh, you know, another case would be compressing the bass a little harder to get it a little more attack sounding, and then compressing the kick with a slower attack to give it a little bit more body um, those two simple ways, you know, and the releases on both of those are, are you know, somewhat quick, but uh, the attack times really will make a big difference in terms of how much of the initial hit gets through. And so because of that, you can kind of play with the relationship there. And also choosing different compressors to really get the job done. Sometimes what works really well is to just really compress the bass hard to where it's almost unmoving. And, um, you know, in a pretty high energy rock track, you know, 8 to 1 ratio, 12 to 1 ratio, like an 1176, and compress it to where it, you know, you're maybe compressing quite a bit, 6 to 10 decibels, um, to where the bass just does not move in the track. It just stays the same volume. That way the kick can very much come through. Now, the second method would be to EQ. Now, there seems to be sort of a spot between 100 and 200 hertz where the kick and bass really fight each other. 
I find somewhere in this region is really where they fight, not where they're actually their primary tones are, but they're fighting there. So sometimes you can like cut a little bit and it went 150 on the bass at 150 hertz and then boost up 150 on the kick just to kind of make those higher harmonics come through. And if you're in doubt about what frequency to pick, I would usually tend to go towards, you know, start with the kick drum and find its fundamental note. So sweep the EQ around until you find the note where it really sounds big. And, uh, you know, let's say it's uh, like, what, 70 hertz, right? Well, the octave of that is 140. So maybe boost 140 on the kick and then dip 140 on the bass. If you start boosting and cutting in the low lows, you sometimes lose power. And so be careful about that. You know, dipping at 70 hertz on the bass, you might lose some power. Uh, It's subtle stuff here. You you might only be dipping one or two decibels, but just enough to kind of get them to separate a little bit to where they really sound meshed. And the third way I would handle this is if the bassist and the drummer are not particularly tight together, that can be one of the primary reasons why it doesn't fit, because they didn't play it together. They played a little off, you know, maybe the drummer is listening to the click and the bass guitar player is listening more towards the vocalist than the drummer. And so a good bassist and a good drummer together will work in harmony and they will really, really sing and you won't have to worry about them fighting because they'll usually sound great together. And um, having more inexperienced ones, sometimes the bassist is a little ahead or whatever. A really nice technique is something called side-chaining. Now, I actually have a video about this on YouTube. If you just search for side-chaining kick and bass, you should see the videos. And it says side-chaining kick and bass, Nuendo 3, and then Cubase. And also side-chaining kick and bass in Nuendo 4. Now, this isn't just for Cubase and Nuendo, but that's what I demonstrated it in. And uh, those videos will help you learn what side-chaining is. Basically, a short version is you can side-chain the bass with the kick drum, and every time the kick drum hits, it will actually turn down the bass. So you put a compressor on the bass track that is side-chained, and its key input is the kick drum. So every time the kick drum hits, it'll actually compress the bass for a brief period, and uh, and then that allows it to sound a little tighter, where the kick and the bass can both be loud, but the bass is turned down for that short instant that the kick hits. And so that can be a super useful tool in a crunch where the bassist and the drummer really just didn't play that well together. Those are my tricks for kick and bass together. Now, how do we get a vocal to sit in the mix? This is probably the biggest common question among forum noobs, and uh, I, I see a lot, you know, noobs and their questions, right? <laughs> I don't mean to pick on anyone out there. I, I, I love answering these questions. And so, um, again, if you need any more clarity on any of these things, please email me. I'd love to explain it more in depth to you. I'm trying to, you know, get a lot of information out in a fairly short amount of time. I mean, this stuff takes years, and I got, you know, 45 minutes on a show or whatever. How do we get a vocal to sit in the mix? My best answer for this is make sure that the track lets the vocal sit. Well, you know, I'm not trying to be all, you know, psychology on you. It's true. Why do we expect that our vocal is supposed to sit in the mix when really it's the job of the track to let the vocal sit? The more we EQ things, the more they sound unnatural. I've probably said that three times today already, but it's true. So my advice for you here is listen to the vocal 
And this is one of the only cases where I think listening to the vocal in solo is a really, really good thing. So listen to the vocal in solo and make it sound good. And then don't touch it. Don't touch the EQ. Make it sound good on its own. Forget about the track for, for a minute. And just, just do brief, tiny little tweaks. Don't overdo it. Just make it sound good on its own. Then just ignore it for a second. Don't touch the EQ. Don't touch the compression. Just leave it. Pretend that that is the vocal sound that you have and you can't change it. Then put it in the track, adjust the levels a little bit, and hear if it's not sitting. Well, first you can go through some of the methods we already talked about. Maybe it needs some reverb on it. Maybe it's not fitting because it's like that. Maybe it's too close to your face. It's an inch in front of your face when the rest of the band is 20 feet away, you know, apparently. Then it's not going to sound right, unless that's the sound you're going for. Then... Another way is to compress it differently. Maybe you're compressing it in a weird way that's chopping off the transients or something and it's and it's not letting the vocal really be punchy and have a higher RMS or average level. Again, try those first two methods first before touching EQ on, on the vocal or on anything. So let's say that doesn't work. Let's say adding reverb to the vocal doesn't help. Where do you go? Where do you go from here? My best advice here is to mute the vocal, mute the guitars, and listen to the bass and drums. Make sure the bass drum, bass and drum groove is kicking. Make sure it sounds great. They sound good together. Make sure it sounds like how you want it, how you want the bass and drums to sound, whether that's tight or big room or whatever. Then add in your guitars back. So go in reverse order here. Add back in your guitars and listen to how they sound together. Now, what happens a lot is that this balance will sound awesome. And you can mix without the vocal and the guitars will sound awesome. Well, when the vocal comes in, it all falls apart. And this is a perfect example of how to explain to you of why guitars and vocals constantly fight. Not only do guitarists often play too much, but they're usually fighting the vocal big time because they're distorted often or they're, you know, they're in that upper mid range, which is where the vocal is. Bass and drums are, are a little more different animals there, but guitars and vocals share a very similar frequency range. So what I like to do is turn my mix way down low. I mix really quiet anyway. I mix at a reference level of negative 40. And I know that doesn't tell you an SPL, but uh, last I measured with my SPL meter, I mix probably um, 70, 70 or below. Pretty darn quiet, um, really. I mix very quiet. I mean, quieter than your average conversation. Um, quieter, if I was talking right now, I wouldn't be able to focus on the mix. That's how quiet. So pretty quiet. And um, so I turn the mix way down low, and I add everything in together. Then what I start doing is listening to the guitar frequencies and pretending that I cannot turn the vocal, you know, I can't EQ the vocal. And then, so I'll, I'll open up an EQ with the guitars, and I'll start kind of sweeping around the frequencies until I find a point when it really starts to bother me, like... Not on the guitars, but where I feel like, man, when I when I boost, you know, let's say 3K, it like really covers up the vocal. That's a sign to me that there's too much 3K. And so I might dip 3K one or two decibels. And then sometimes, magically, the vocal seems to sit because you just dip that little bit. It didn't really change the tone of the guitars. It just kind of carved them out a little bit. I'm sure you've heard that term, carving. So that's kind of what they're talking about is a lot of times you need to carve out the other tracks for things to fit. So, you know, you might even have to take out a little bit of 
uh, presence in the drums, like in the 1 to 5K range, there might be too much snare and maybe even too much cymbal. And that's fighting the vocal. It's, it's commanding the attention over the vocal. I feel like in certain genres of music, like hip-hop or country or a lot of contemporary Christian music, the solution for a vocal that doesn't fit is just turn it way loud. And I don't like that at all. I don't want it to sound like the vocal is louder than the whole band. And, you know, I can hear, like, the breaths of the vocalist over the drummer. That's just stupid. I just don't like how that sounds. It doesn't sound real to me. So I want the vocal to sit nice where it's above the music and you can hear every word, but it's not just blowing your head off and it's like the only thing you can hear in the whole song. Um, so my solution for that is just EQ things very slightly and EQ them where the vocal is sitting. So if you have a vocalist who, you know, use a spectrum analyzer. If you got one, there's plenty of free ones online. So go online and get a frequency analyzer, spectrum analyzer, whatever you want to call it, and put it on the vocal and see where the big presence peaks are. So you'll probably find one, you know, probably find it's pretty present in the, you know, two, three, four, five, six, seven K range. And as well as there's probably the low fundamentals of the vocal are maybe more in the 150 to 400 range, depending on the type of voice. And um, so you might have to carve out a little bit on the bass around that 150 again to let the vocal low end come through or around 250. Uh, I find it more, most vocalists sit more in the 200 to 300 range for their low harmonics, for their low notes, you know, like the, the chest sound, you know, like this that I'm talking right now. That sound is the lower fundamentals, the low part of this, versus the higher part is the, you know, the intelligibility of my voice and the, you know, the way I make my consonants and my S's and things like that. And that's really where you get the clarity out of the voice. So, Again, you haven't touched the vo the vocal at this point. Just start, you know, leave the vocal there. Maybe adjust the level here and there, but start finding little things about it. Again, one thing we talked about in the EQ show is take out what you don't like rather than boost what you do like. That is a slippery slope that will hurt you. Do not just keep boosting things that sound good. Be like, oh man, that vocal's so clear. I want more clarity. So then you just keep boosting and boosting and boosting. And it just, not only does boosting EQ not sound as good, uh, you're starting to get into that slippery slope where you're not going to be able to fit things together. So try to EQ things minimally and then take away what's not needed rather than adding what is. And it's just easier too. For example, on this guitar scenario where your guitars are fighting with the vocal, let's say all you needed to do was dip a couple decibels at 3K versus you would have had to, you know, maybe put a high pass filter on and then boost some lows and then maybe boost some mids and then maybe boost some high highs to get the grit Versus you could have done one cut on the guitars to make the vocal fit. Here's another way to look at it. Let's say that you mute the guitars and you're listening to the drums, bass, and vocal. And it still isn't fitting. The vocal still doesn't seem like it's fitting right. What does that mean? It's probably the drums. Maybe there's too much cymbal. Maybe there's too much snare. So from there, it's, it's kind of like a little math problem. You just have to figure out what's fighting. So think about it like this. Let's say you add back in the guitars and then it really doesn't fit. Well, maybe rather than taking away like four decibels on the guitar at three kilohertz, maybe you can take out two decibels on the drums at 3K and two decibels on the guitar at 3K. Then it will sound even less unnatural than taking out one huge cut. So 
that way you can act, I mean you're what you're really trying to do here is get a space in the mix for the vocal not just a space in the guitars for the vocal not just a space in the drums for the vocal and a lot of times you're using varying widths of cues it's very rare that it's a pretty narrow cue it's often that it's uh, it's you know either a normal size maybe uh, too wide and what that means is the wider cue you have on these things that you're cutting to make the vocal sit, um, they the wider cue you have, the little the less unnatural the EQ sounds. The as the narrower you start making your cues, the more unnatural the EQ sort of starts to sound, and and it just creates more problems. So on the guitars, you know, you're you might take out two decibels at three K, but it's also taking out some at one K and and 4K and 2K and and all that range in between and just enough to really let the vocal sit. So be be very cautious, be very safe with your EQ. Don't don't just automatically be like, "Oh, I need the vocal to sit, so I'm going to take out 6 decibels at 3K." or whatever. So that doesn't work. So just do enough. Do enough what you need to do and don't do more EQ than you have to. All these things together, I hope that this has given you a good idea of how to fit things in a mix using dynamics with compression, also using EQs, and also using reverbs to create the depth. Again, this is these are things that I deal with every day with mixes, and these are things that I could write entire books about. So if you have questions about this stuff, email me at recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. I'd be totally happy to go into detail about any of these parts if you need more clarification on them. Um, but again, experiment with these things. Try compression. Try reverb and short delays first. If that doesn't work, you know, make sure your pans are good. Make sure you're panning things in a in a good way that's allowing them to separate. Again, for example, if you have these guitars, you know, if you have bass drums and guitar, and the guitar is center and the vocal center, you're probably going to have fighting there. That's just obvious. Um, so. Think about that. You know, you, you have the two dimensions of left and right, but you have front and back, and you also have up and down. The brighter something is, the more it seems to be kind of up, and the darker something is, the more it seems kind of down. So if you're dipping frequencies on the guitars, it's almost like looking at this sort of like mountain range, right? You're seeing the rest of the track is this sort of mountain range, and in between the peaks are the vocal to get this nice, beautiful, flat, even top. So the vocal's able to sit in the peaks of everything else. Um, now don't get, again, don't get crazy with the EQ. Be very cautious, be very careful. But I guarantee that if you just spend a little bit of time listening to this, spend a little bit of time experimenting, getting your vocals to fit using these methods, that you'll probably find, you'll probably learn a lot of things on the way, which is what I want. I want to challenge you guys to to learn things by example and learn things by trying because that really is the best way to learn. So try these things. Let me know if you have any thoughts or questions. Uh, again, check out the Facebook. Recording Lounge is the name. So facebook.com slash recording lounge. Not the recording lounge, just recording lounge. Recordinglounge.blogspot.com. I also do freelance mixing and mastering. And uh, my big goal here is to move people forward with their music. And um, so especially I want bands to gain something and actually go somewhere with their music. And, and so I try to accomplish that with my mixes. So um, if you're not getting enough out of the mixes that you're doing for your band or for other bands um, or whatever, 
whatever and you need some help and uh, even if you just want to learn and you want me to mix one song or master one song so you can kind of hear what uh, you want me to do with it contact me about rates for that again the same email recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com and uh, we can talk about rates for your specific project it's totally different for every project so I can give you a specialized quote I hope you guys have a fantastic holiday, and uh, we'll be back hopefully by the end of the month to have that last show, if not, then early January. So have a great rest of the month, and I will talk to you guys soon.